It was September 11, 2001. Thousands were exposed to the fumes from the collapse of the World Trade Center. Can you explain their present-day lung health in light of what they inhaled that day, that week, or even that month in New York City? You're listening to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to a special segment focusing on allergy. I am Dr. Shira Johnson, your host, and with me today is Dr. Norman Edelman, Chief Medical Officer of the American Lung Association. Dr. Edelman has served in that capacity for over 25 years. He is involved in patient care as a teaching clinic supervisor, and he is professor of internal medicine, preventive medicine at the State University of New York at Stony Brook. He is here today to discuss some of the findings published in CHEST on the pulmonary effects of 9-11, on the workers, and indeed on the residents exposed in the Lower East Side of New York on the day that America will never forget. Welcome, Dr. Edelman, to ReachMD. Thanks for taking the time to be on our show. It's my pleasure. Glad to have you. So first of all, for our listeners, tell us a little bit about how does air quality relate to allergy? Well, air quality is kind of a multiplier. So, for example, the American Lung Association just a day or two ago issued its state-of-the-air report in which we rated various counties and cities with regard to their air quality. And we looked at two pollutants. We looked at ozone, which is the component in smog, and we looked at particulates. And not surprisingly, we found that over half the country lives in areas in which the air quality does not meet federal standards or our estimation of what would be healthy. So a good example of how allergy and air quality interact is the effect of ozone. Ozone is an inflammatory gas. You know, it's three atoms of oxygen instead of two, so it supports combustion very well. And breathing in ozone for a long period, even by normal people, causes inflammation of the lining of the upper airways and the lungs. Now, if you can imagine a person with asthma uh, who already has chronic inflammation of the airways of the lung, if you add additional inflammation by breathing in ozone, you not only get an additive effect, you get a multiplier effect. You know, and I'm sure many physicians who are listening will know that their patients with allergic asthma get much worse at a time of a smog alert. Now, were the findings that you have, the quality of air across the country, were they a surprise to you? No, the findings were not a surprise. I mean, the good news is over the past 20 years, we are improving the quality of air. Both ozone and particulates are declining. The bad news, in a sense, is the more we look, the more we find scientifically so that we now know that what used to be considered safe levels of ozone are not, and we need to lower those levels, and we're lobbying the EPA to do that. And over the last 10 years or so, a really important set of studies have shown the very, very deleterious effects of inhaling fine particles, so that we now know in certain cities 25 30% of excess mortality is due to inhalation of fine particles. So coming back to New York, how many people were estimated to have been exposed after 9-11? Well, I don't have the exact number, but it's a lot. The buildings were demolished. 
the result uh, was not so much fumes but dust, and the dust came from the unique material that was used to coat the buildings, and it was very, very fine dust. And certainly at Stony Brook, which is where I'm based, we saw clouds of the dust, and that was 60 miles away. Wow. So, you know, in theory at least, all of greater New York area, you know, 20 million people were exposed to a greater or lesser extent. But there's pretty good evidence that the closer you were to the site, the more exposure you got and the more likely you were to contract a respiratory problem related to the event. So from following this group of citizens, what do we know today or some of the things that we've learned about the exposure in New York after 9-11? Especially I'm thinking chronic exposure. Some people weren't just there for that day. The rescue workers went back again and again. What have we learned? Well, as you might guess, the data are difficult to interpret. You know, nobody can do a controlled clinical trial. You can't do randomization. And it was a very, very tense time with all sorts of people rushing in to help. So even the records aren't well kept. What we know is that there was a 9-11 cough. Absolutely no question. A very large percentage of the early responders people who showed up right away and stayed around for days or weeks, were left with a cough. And this was true of fewer, but a significant number of the residents in that area. Much of this dissipated, and you know the real difficult question is how much of it resolved into chronic lung disease. There are several studies ongoing, one federally supported, a few supported in other ways, looking at 9-11 responders, and there seems to be an increased incidence of the kind of disease that you might expect from people inhaling these very, very complex particulates. So, for example, there may be, and this is somewhat disputed, an increase in sarcoidosis. Well, sarcoidosis is just a granulomous disease of the lung, if you look at it under the microscope, it's exactly like borreliosis. So what's more likely is uh, we have an increase in granulomatous disease of the lung, such as sarcoidosis, borreliosis, and you know who knows how many other metals and compounds there were in that dust. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to a special segment focusing on allergy on ReachMD Radio, XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I am Dr. Shira Johnson, and I am speaking with Dr. Norman Edelman, and we're discussing pulmonary disease seen after 9-11 in workers and residents of the Lower East Side. Dr. Edelman, is there any evidence that some subjects were more vulnerable than others, either by virtue of history or genetics? That's problematic in adults. There's a very, very nice study in children. One of the investigators went in and looked at the health records of a clinic in Chinatown, Chinatown being very close to the site. And he looked at all the exacerbations of asthma and plotted them out as a function of distance from ground zero. And he showed that these kids in the next few days and weeks had an increased incidence of asthma, and the effect was directly related to how close they were to 9-11. That's good evidence that it was actually the material that was released during the event that was causing airway inflammation in kids. 
in adults, there have been a variety of illnesses. There have been chronic airways disease, as I mentioned a short while ago. There is some evidence of chronic granulomatous disease, although that's in dispute. And again, there is some evidence of interstitial lung disease that is also a little hard to sort out because from the natural occurrence of the disease as to whether it simply is a statistical quirk or whether it's real. How were these subjects attempted to be followed after 9-11? Because I know some probably refused to be followed. Some records weren't kept. For the study in CHEST, how were they followed? For the study in CHEST, we used a federal network. Through the good offices of the senators of the state of New York, we got federal funding to follow a large number of the 9-11 responders, and we were able to do it over a relatively broad area so that we could capture a lot of these responders, even though some of them live relatively far from ground zero. What are some of the controversies about what has been called the 9-11 effect? I mean, as physicians, medically, it makes sense. What's some of the controversies around what they developed and the cause and effect issue of 9-11? Well, the controversies tend to take place around uncommon but not rare illnesses. So sarcoidosis is a good example. One center said and published that they had seen an increase in sarcoidosis. But the issue then becomes, well, just exactly how many cases should they have seen of sarcoidosis in that population if this didn't happen? And of course, because it's a relatively uncommon but not rare disease, it's a little hard to do those calculations. Now, some workers wore respirators. There was a CDC study published in 2005 that said one in four actually wore them. Does any data from your research show anything different? I have no data showing whether it made a difference or not. Anecdotally, we find that they really didn't wear respirators very often. I mean, the workers would regularly tell you that it was just too difficult to breathe wearing the respirators, and even those who started out wearing them quickly discarded them, especially in the early days when there was some hope of finding survivors. It was a great sense of urgency, and the people who responded really thought that they had to get on with their job and not worry about their own health. So from the study that was done with the kids on the Lower East Side in Chinatown, what could we have learned in terms of prevention, in terms of treatment, if they're in another situation like that again? Well, we learned that air pollution exacerbates asthma. And when there's an extraordinary event that causes a lot of air pollution, we ought to respond properly. I mean, these kids might have benefited from wearing particle masks. Now, we don't ordinarily stockpile particle masks, but perhaps we should. After these exposures, was there an increased incidence of allergy in these children or in these adults from what they were exposed to? Well, there was an increased incidence of asthma attacks. And the disease went on and became chronic for the years we've studied it? We did measurements in kids who had established asthma, and we found that around the event there were increased incidence of asthma attacks. We did not follow them out for many years to see whether it modified the baseline of their disease. If the funding was provided, what additional studies would you like to do on the population of the Lower East Side and what we've already experienced? Well, what I think the studies show, especially the recent study published in CHEST, is that we really need long-term follow-up. And we know this pretty well for lung disease. 
Once a process is started that leads to chronic lung disease, whether it's tissue fibrosis or COPD, it tends to continue even after the offending agent is removed. We need really long-term governmental funding to follow up uh, these kids with asthma down on the Lower East Side or all the workers wherever they live. We have to follow them out 5, 10, 15, 20 years to see what the impact is. Were there any other events in history that we should have learned from that would have made us better able to respond to this? In the United States, the closest event that I can think of was the eruption of Mount St. Helens. That spewed a fine ash as well, and that did cause respiratory problems acutely. Now, I'm not aware of that having followed it up to see if there were chronic lung problems from that. Is there any take-home lessons for the general practitioner or the primary care doctor who's listening to this show today based on what you've reviewed? Well, I think we ought to go back to air pollution in general. I mean, what 9-11 was was really a fine particulate pollution in excess. The message is, is that air pollution is really bad, especially for your kids with asthma. You know, there's studies now showing that how close a child lives to a highway uh, relates to how severe their asthma is. There's the famous study in Atlanta at the time of the Olympics when they limited traffic because they didn't want traffic jams, and then they went back and looked at it and saw a 25% drop in emergency room visits for asthma. So I think the clinician has to know that when they have patients that are at risk for both smog, both ozone and particulates, their patients are more likely to have severe asthma. They ought to do their best to limit their environment. Obviously, you can't have the kids walk around with masks all day. But you can advise parents as to where they might live, if they can afford to move. You can advise parents to be activists in their community, try and get their school systems to change the dirty diesel engines in the school buses. If a patient is about to enter a polluted area, you might want to increase their medication or pre-medicate them. That might be a useful thing to do. Is there a role for a primary care doctor to be an activist as well? Absolutely primary care doctors speak with great authority. And I think when primary care doctors band together and demand a cleaner environment for their patients, governments tend to listen. Thank you, Dr. Edelman, for being my guest. It's my pleasure. We've been discussing allergies and pulmonary disease seen after 9-11 in the rescue workers and the residents of the Lower East Side of New York City. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson. You've been listening to a special segment focusing on allergy on ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals.